Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Lent is a big deal. Lent started this past Wednesday night with Ash Wednesday, and I'm going to briefly go through the metaphor that I used, the analogy actually that I used there, because it will be something that we will return to week after week. We're going to talk a lot about sin, sin. But sin is not just the thing that you do, right? I I liken sin to cigarette smoke, and sometimes the person smoking generates the cigarette smoke. Make sense? Now, some of you are saying, okay, 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 now I got it. Smoking is a sin. Listen, that's not what I'm saying, because I'm not sure that, that smoking, though it's very bad for you, is any more of a sin than eating way too much chocolate cake. And I don't want to, uh, in unhealthy ways, draw a target around the folks in our fellowship who, are, by the way, are fantastic people and who may smoke. What I'm saying is the cigarette smoke is our metaphor. And sometimes you're the one generating that smoke, but sometimes you just walk into a smoke-filled room. But that's how sin kind of does. Sometimes it's you doing the thing that you understand to be sin. And then other times you just walk into a room, but you're still kind of implicated We talked about the damage that secondhand smoke can do to a person, to a child, to an adult. In the same kind of way, in the same kind of way, sin sort of acts like smoke in a room and when you walk into or are born into a room, it gets on. Still sinful and we're still culpable and responsible. Here's what I mean. Let's just say that you're born into a racist family. Can we agree that racism is a sin? So a child born into that family may not be the source of the racism, but may live in that smoke-filled room long enough that he starts to smell like smoke and the the racism part starts to kind of make sense. Becomes a filter through which I see the rest of the world. That is the kind of sin And the kind of smoke, let's say, that we're going to be talking about today. Sometimes it's a smoke-filled culture. Sometimes it's a smoke-filled culture that makes idols out of things that otherwise would be good, but they're not best. And when we make them into the best things, that's when they become idols and then smoke fills all the rooms. That's the kind of sin, smoke, we're going to be talking about today and every week during Lent. And so we're gonna start every sermon during Lent with a prayer of confession. Now, we have done this before, we've done it several Ash Wednesday services, and we're gonna do it every Sunday now in Lent. And I'm going to read the prayer, much like the prayer of St. Francis that we, that we prayed throughout Epiphany, but I would like for you to read it along with me, if you would like. Or if you just need to kinda of sit and soak it in and hear it, that's fine too. But if you would, let's read this prayer together. Ready? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. 
we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. Every week, every week we will sort through that prayer and I hope that much like the Lord's Prayer, we're gonna keep doing that too, I hope that over a period of time, the more you pray the prayer, the more it takes up ground in your mind and imagination, then hopefully it takes on skin in your life. Here's, here's one of those things I would say. Um, there is a great desire in our smoky culture to be one's own boss, to um, not be beholden to somebody else's rules. I mean, I, listen, I, I am not pointing a finger at anyone else more than I'm pointing it at myself. I, I've been heard to say, I, I like it when I don't have a boss. Now, there is a place where that might be okay. Like maybe in the business world, maybe in the business world, it's okay. I found a Forbes magazine article and, and maybe some of you in the room need to hear this today because maybe it's time for you within this narrow slice of life known as the business world, maybe it's time for you to be your own boss. Well, here are five signs that it might be. The dream of being your own boss just doesn't go away. We have some folks in the room right now that are their own bosses and they're good at it and it's Christian, it's a good thing, it's all right. Number two, climbing the ladder just isn't satisfying anymore. I, I wanna do my own thing, I'm, I'm tired of the corporate ladder part of this whole thing. You're tired of who you have become at work. You're tired of being the square peg that they're always forcing into the round hole. In fact, here's something else that's said underneath that one. Uh, you have been that square peg that's been trying to shove itself into a round hole for so many years that you don't recognize yourself anymore. You've gotten further and further from the real you, we're gonna come back to that, and the things that used to bring you joy. If that's how you feel at work, maybe you should start thinking about being your own boss. Number four, you feel suffocated. Listen to this. You want to be the one to decide when you take a vacation, what hours you work, and with whom you would work. You envision being in the driver's seat and having more control over your future. Again, I think there's a scenario in which this is a good and healthy and right discussion to have. Number five, the status quo is worse than the thought of change. Look, if you're working and you're miserable and all of these things sound like you, then actually hear me as your pastor say, well, maybe you should explore what life might look like in the business world as your own boss. But also hear me say, when that desire to be one's own boss spills outside of the boundaries of the business world and gets into every other room and corner of your life, we may have a problem. In the business world, okay. In the rest of my life, not okay. <laughs> The smoke-filled room. The smoke-filled culture. How many times have you heard somebody say, I want to be my own boss? I want to be my own boss. I, I want freedom from fill in the blank. 
I want freedom from external pressures. I want freedom from the rules that somebody else would put on me. I want freedom from any constraint, any external authority, perhaps even any Christian principle. It's not been that long since a couple made an appointment to come tell me why they were leaving the church. It's because I had an old-fashioned sexual ethic, they said. We don't want the church or God or anybody else telling us what to do with our bodies. And so we're leaving. Sammy Davis Jr. was a guy who used to sing years ago. How many of you even remember Sammy Davis Jr.? Okay, God bless you. He had a song he was famous for, I've Gotta Be Me, I've Gotta Be Me, I've Gotta Be Me. That song is not in the hymnal. Here, here, let me say it in a way that may be more offensive. <laughs> there are times when our search for freedom, which sometimes is then called authenticity, is just a process whereby you are building your own throne, where you can sit, be your own God, be your own idol. I cringe a bit, I cringe a bit when folks get super, super, super concerned about authenticity. Whoa, does that mean that you want us to be inauthentic? Not at all, not at all. What I'm saying to you is this, freedom from any constraint is very different from, I'm giving you the end right now, it's very different from freedom for the life that God dreams for you. And sometimes, sometimes when we are chasing authenticity, sometimes what we mean is, I've got to be me absent any other constraint or expectation. You're going to hear that in today's scripture from a very familiar set of characters. I mean, Adam and Eve feel that at some level, right? We'll get into that. But I also want us to remember that we're telling several different biblical stories at the same time. I mean, don't you think the prodigal son at some point said, I gotta be me. God gives the garden. The prodigal's father gave him a life and probably said at some point, I'm sorry, just dads are wired to say this. You ready? Here it comes. While you're under this roof. And sometimes, sometimes that generates in people this urge to get out from underneath that roof. Sometimes it's God who says, when you're under this roof, and even then we chafe. I kind of want to do my, I kind of want to define things for myself. Mm, can you smell that smoke? Man, if that's you, whew, take a deep breath. Just bring all that smoke in.
The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. This is all representative stuff, right? Representative stuff. By the way, a very familiar story that is really dangerous because it is so familiar. Because we have heard it poorly interpreted so many times. Let me just say a couple things up front. There is nothing, there is nothing in this passage of scripture to tell us, oh, this is where death entered the picture. More importantly, there is nothing in this story that says, ah, this is why women are inferior, subordinate. It's not there, it's not there. When folks use these passages of scripture to tell that particular story, they are reading it so poorly that they're missing the better point. Now, now I'm meddling. Okay, let's get back to this. And the Lord God commanded the man, look at this life. Look at all of this permission, permission. Look at all of this permission I'm gonna give you. Lots of trees, lots of food. Look at all of this life. And by the way, I need your help with it, says God. I need your help with it. You may eat freely of every tree, of the, all of the trees of the garden, except for this one tree. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. <laughs> this, this seems harsh. For on the day that you eat of it, you shall die. You shall die. Now, I want you to see this. Here's what you get in the garden. Here's what you get in life. Here's what you get in life. Here's what I get in life. Every time we are given these three, Calling and vocation. As the people of God, we always get calling and vocation. Here's what I'm gonna do with my life. You also get permission and then invitation from God. God says, hey, live this life. Yes, you have this vocation and this calling, but I want you, to, I wanna invite you to enjoy it. Enjoy it. And you have boundaries and prohibition. They are meant to function together and any two without the third is not the life that God desires for you or for me. I'm gonna say that again, because it bears repeating, and you need to hear it. This is what God has for us. Calling and vocation, permission and invitation, boundaries and prohibition, and any two without the third is not the life that God wants for us. What God wants is all three taken together, and sometimes we just can't have, oh, kiss can't take it, we chafe, and like the prodigal, we just say, well, then I'm gonna walk. I'm gonna walk. Not too long after this, God looks at Adam and says, it's not good for the man to be alone. Needs a partner. It's not gonna be God per se. It's not gonna be one of the animals. It's gonna be an, another sort of earthling. It makes Eve. And then Eve has, and by the way, this is, I, there's no reason to believe that this is the devil. This is just a communicator of an alternative message. Snakes, snakes aren't necessarily representative of the devil, okay? All right? Not every snake is an iteration of the devil, is what I'm saying. But the snake has a very interesting conversation with Eve that we need to explore here. Now, you've heard the prohibition. You've heard the invitation and the permission. You have heard of the calling, the vocation. 
Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God say you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? That's ridiculous. Well, that's not what God said. (laughs) See if you can spot Eve's prodigal tendencies starting to come through. Now she corrected him. She said, no, 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 no. We can eat from the trees of the garden, but God did say, you shall not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it. God didn't say that. Nor shall you touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you're not going to die. God's not going to kill you. It's that God doesn't want the competition. And you see, Eve, I don't know if you know this, but you're something else. You and Adam, you're something else. God's all telling you what to do and what not to do, but maybe you're bigger than that fence that God put around you. Eve, you ever heard that Sammy Davis Jr. song? Let me me teach you just a few of the words. Eve, it goes like this. I gotta be me. Eve, you gotta sing that song. You have heard probably in pop psychological circles the term uh, forbidden fruit syndrome. It's actually a technical term for it. Thank you to Alicia M.K. McLean. It's psychological reactance. There's something about us when we're told, hey, you can't have that, there's something about us that makes us really want that. (laughs) And it makes us angry at whoever told us we couldn't have it. it. It builds and wells within us this desire to kind of bust free from the constraints cause got to be me. Freedom from is driven by a desire for autonomy. Again, often disguised as authenticity. But every time, watch this, the desire to break free from constraint every time results in our being broken by an even heavier burden of captivity and even slavery. Ridiculous extreme example. Mom and dad enjoy a nice glass of wine every once in a while. But they'll say to their 16-year-old, no, 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 not until you're like 50 years old. Nope, not going to let you have anything. Kid chafes under that law or rule or principle that he or she believes to be unwise, unnecessary. And so almost in a sense to say, well, I'm gonna show you, I get this in a way that you don't. I'm gonna go find the liquor. I've seen it. I've seen that kid have that discussion, that frustration, and that kid becomes an alcoholic. I've seen it. Or, or maybe it's a relational thing. Kids told, I don't know if you ought to date so-and-so. Guess what? So-and-so becomes immediately more attractive. Wow, have you seen so-and-so, <laughs> right? 
I'm going to bust free of the constraints. I'm going to do what I want to do. And then when I do what I want to do, I find out maybe a few weeks, maybe months later, that now I'm actually really, I thought I was in captivity before, but this is slavery. Slavery. What I'm saying to you is, and I think the prodigal son would testify to the same thing. I'm pretty sure Adam and Eve would testify to the same thing. Be careful. If you hate your constraints, you are headed toward slavery. You are headed toward destruction. You are headed toward destitution. I'll say it again, because I don't mind being held accountable for it, ready? Be careful when you hate your godly constraints. When you hate your godly constraints, you are headed for slavery, captivity, destruction, destitution. I told you Wednesday night, I will tell you again, we have two major points of emphasis for the Lenten season. And one is, sin is more dangerous and more pervasive than you think. It's not just you smoking the cigarette, it's you walking into all the different, and some of them are giant smoke-filled rooms. But here's the second thing. All right, then, God, what is it that you want from me? Do you want me to say I'm sorry? Do you want me to ask for forgiveness? The answer is yes, but the second point of emphasis this Lenten season is there is more than forgiveness for us. And so it happened when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. The eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And the naked part seems to have to do with an understanding that one has crossed a boundary and is now in sin. Before, when they were sinless, their nakedness did not matter, there was no guilt, but now they sense it, they see it, their eyes are opened, and so they do these feeble sorts of things to try to somehow now deal with the problem that they've created. The first thing they do is they make these ridiculous loincloths, amen? <laughs> and then they try to hide from God. And then they start to play the blame game. God says, Adam, what have you done? What have I done? What did she do? And Eve says, wait a minute, wait a minute. What did I do? What did that stupid snake do? This is what we do, right? Deflect and point. And then there are ramifications, consequences. And God's already said it. All right, if you eat fruit of that tree, I'm, I guess I guess I'm going to have to kill you. <laughs> I mean, God said it right out loud. If you eat the fruit of that tree on that very day, you will die. God said it. Now, God walks through some ramifications. It's there in your Bibles, verses 16 through 19. I'm not going to read them to you, but just suffice to say, God says, yeah, now there are ramifications and repercussions. But here's what God didn't do. 
God did not kill them. There's a term for that. (laughs) When we don't get what we deserve. You've heard this term, I know you have. When, because God is who God is, when we don't get what we deserve, that's called grace. Now, in what I believe is an underreported part of the story, I want you to watch what happens here. God does march through this list of ramifications, the consequences of their actions. And then God joins them on their difficult journey, so much so that God makes clothes for them. And that should sound familiar. In the New Testament, in the New Testament, the young man that walks away from his father, who essentially says to his father, I kind of wish you were dead so that I could have my inheritance and go do what I want to do so I don't have to live underneath these house rules anymore. Ben goes out there and sure enough, because he was wrestling with those constraints, he found himself in a deeper sense of captivity and slavery and destruction and destitution, drags himself back. There are still consequences for what he did. That money's gone. Perhaps a reputation, gone. Drags himself back. Dad sees him, rushes out to greet him, brings him back in, and reclothes him. Welcomes him in, though he does not deserve it. Because this God has something more to give than just forgiveness, and that something more is new life. Now we can talk about freedom, but it's not just freedom from, it's freedom for. Freedom for this new life that is now, though there are constraints, unshackled because I'm no longer shackled kind of to myself. Freed for a different way of being alive in which love for God and love for others finally makes sense. It couldn't make sense before when I was sort of kicking against the, the, the constraints and the rules and the laws and saying, ah, I just gotta be me. But if God can free you from you, people, if God can free me from me, then I'm actually free indeed for, for something. Does God want to forgive you? Yes. But here's a something more. God has a life for you, a new heart, a new spirit, and that's within arm's reach. As long as you recognize it as the grace of God that comes to you without you having to earn it, and then the life that you are freed for is unreal. I have a a video to play for you. It was gonna be in a different part of the service because it is the youth fundraiser video. But I want you to see it. And I want you to listen for how it is that one of our own students is freed now for something.
So one of the days my side went to the pool and on the way there at one of the bus stops, one of the site leaders had a seizure and all the kids were reacting very different. Like some of them were mocking her and some of them, like the little ones were crying or were about to cry. But once it was all like situated, we got on the bus and I was sitting with this little boy named Ephraim and this little girl named Leslie. They're like eight and seven, I think. Leslie had started to like cry or she was about to start crying and Ephraim said something to her in French. I wrote down some of it in here, so I'm just gonna read it. So I was sitting with Leslie and Ephraim and Leslie was about to start crying and I was trying to comfort her. But then Ephraim said something to her in French and calmed her down. Ephraim had asked me if I knew what he said, and I didn't, so he told me that he said, When you've been sick, God was there to heal you, so you don't need to worry because God will heal Janice. I see God mostly through the kids, like at my site. They're very nurturing and genuine. A lot of them had their own like home problems, and but they were still the most sweetest kids, and I saw God through a lot of them. For a while, I have I've had no idea what I wanted to do with my life and it's really hard because all the people around me know exactly what they want to do but after I've gone to multiple summer missions like Cactus in Toronto and like all the things I've gone through with our youth group um, this past fall I felt like I was being called to work with kids um, I don't necessarily know what I want to be able to help kids and share God's love through whatever I do and I am just excited to see where that takes me. I'm Regan Garrison and I'm going to Toronto. So with our youth ministry, I, Reagan's great. No one's trying to set her up on some sort of pedestal to make you think that she is perfect because I'm told by her parents that she's not perfect. <laughs> but we want an environment here in which we caution against the deep human feelings that desire freedom from. We want an environment here that encourages, in big and small ways, like mission trips, that encourages young people to explore freedom for. Some of you are stuck at freedom from. There's something more that God has for you than just forgiveness. It's freedom for. Some of you are stuck in freedom from. God, stop telling me what to do. I gotta be me. Now, sometimes you still go through Lent and you come to the altar and you say, okay, I'm sorry, I did a dumb thing, I'm really, really sorry, but... Deep down, what you have is this ache for freedom from something. What God has for you is freedom for something. What God has for you is freedom for something. We rehearse it every time we come to this table, and if you're coming, would you come quickly? We rehearse it every time people come to this bowl of water here, representative of the waters of baptism, 
wherein you make a public proclamation. I'm not just freed from something, I am freed for something, and I join a people who are all freed for something. So Heavenly Father, bless all of these elements. Bless the bread and the cup, and even bless the water, God, that somehow all of it could be used to open our eyes to the reality of the joy of being freed for something, not just alive being freed from something. May we, in the broken body and the shed blood, see something in our Savior each week and see the power in Christ's understanding that he was freed from himself and therefore freed for something. And as we take into our own bodies bread and cup, may it nourish our bodies and our imaginations that we too may make the flip and be converted, I guess, from a universe in which the right thing is to be freed from something to a different universe, your universe, in which the right thing is to be freed for something. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet, to exit your pews to the left, and then to come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts. As you approach someone holding a plate of bread, that person will snap off a piece and press it into your hands and say, this is the body of Christ, broken for you. By the way, that body would not have been broken for you unless Christ understood himself to be freed for something. Take that piece of bread and dip it into the cup right here. It'd be Mason who would hold the cup for you and say to you every time you dip your bread in there, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. By the way, that blood would not have been shed for you unless Christ understood himself to be freed for something. And then take and eat and then find a place to pray, perhaps back at your seat, perhaps at one of these side padded altars where we will come and pray a prayer for healing for you. That's what those side padded altars are for. Doesn't matter what, you, uh, what your ailment is, if it's physical, mental, emotional, familiar, familial or otherwise relational, we will pray that prayer for you and anoint you with oil. If you want to come to one of these kneeling benches up front, we won't assume anything, but at some point, we will come by and touch you that you would know that you are not alone. That there is a tangible present, presentness to this whole faith thing. And if you'd like to make a special trip to come and dip your fingers into this water, I, I highly recommend it to remind you that you are amongst the people who are freed for something. If you can't come to us, Jason and Augustine are gonna come to you. Just slip up a hand and they'll find you. Who is welcome at this table? John, I've had a really bad morning. Am I qualified to come to this table? Well, probably not. That's why it's grace. And when it's grace, you're all welcome. You're all welcome. And if you recognize your need for grace, your bad morning does not matter. You're welcome. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took his bread he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And now every time you eat of it, remember me. Later on he would take the cup, hold it up before them and say, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, remember me. All across the sanctuary now, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left and come forward to receive these gifts of God meant to nourish us to be the people of God.